The home video update is sponsored by you. Yes, you. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash home video update to join as a patron to unlock exclusive membership benefits. Thank you for supporting the home video update. Hey guys, it is the 8th of September on a very rainy Thursday morning at 20 past 8. It's Mike, this is the Home Video Update, episode 4. Um, it is a bit later in the week, I do apologise for that, I've just started a new job, so it's going to be a bit sporadic when I upload these things because I'm not in control of when I work and when I don't work. And I did put it on hold this week because I wanted to watch a film in the cinema, which is going to be part of the main topic this week. So going in at the beginning, I want to thank my now two patrons on Patreon. So thank you to Liam and SW Studio. Um, it really does make a big difference that people are listening and people do want to support the channel. Um, thank you very, very much because it does make a difference to me and it makes me want to keep doing it. And it's fantastic that people are watching on YouTube, listening on podcast apps. Like I said last week, I'm available now on iTunes, which is great. That took a stupid amount of time to get working, and I have no idea why, but hey, here we are. That's how that works, apparently. It's a little bit broken, but that's the way Apple want to run their podcasting. That's fine. So we'll get on to the normal flow of the show, starting with what I've watched this week. I am actually going to do a pickup section as part of this because two of these, one of these films sort of inspired me watching um, another one of the films just because it came in the post. So um, 
I used to get still books of most things. I did bow out of that for quite a while because it just became a stupid thing that I've got a special case for something to go in. Um, I now only tend to do them if it's a really cool um, looking still with great art or a cool edition or something special. Um, but all the Marvel films I have bar Spider-Man No Way Home on Steelbook, um, whether they're original Blu-ray ones um, or they're the newer 4K ones, I did tend to not rebuy. So, for example, the stuff that came out 4K later, like the original ones like Thor and Iron Man, I didn't double dip into Steelbooks. Um, if I had the original Steelbook from Play.com or HMV, whoever's doing them back in the day, now it's all Zavi and Zavi and Zavi and Zavi in this country. I haven't double dipped on quite a lot of them. I've just kept them. So I have one still book for each version and then double dipped for the actual 4K discs themselves. But there was a few I missed, so I, ca I caught up on some of them. I picked up James Gunn's Suicide Squad from, was it 2019? 2021, I think it came out, was going to come out, and then it was, was it pandemic related? I know I saw it after the pandemic. I saw it in IMAX. Um... This is a film with a 1.90 to 1 ratio, the actual digital IMAX ratio. Um, I saw it in a genuine IMAX, um, only a dual Xenon 2K projection, so it's not like a proper decent laser one, but it's kind of cool that it fills a digital IMAX screen. Um, not all of them are IMAXs, as the Americans would have you think. This is actually a genuinely massive screen. It's actually a 4 to 3 screen, but it's only got a dual xenon projection, so it can't fill the screen, which is a shame. Hopefully they'll get laser in there at some point, maybe in the future. Um, I've always liked this film. I think it's good. Um, I own the original Suicide Squad. There are moments of it I like. Um, I'm not so fussed about hashtag release the air cut or anything like that. I mean, if they did, cool, I'd watch it. Um... But I think it's clever. I think it holds up. It tells kind of a neat self-contained story. And it gave us the Peacemaker TV show, which is great. Um, it is a little bit ugly in places. I think it has that sheen of the digital look of something. It's not terrible. Um, I'm not saying it's ugly at all. It just has a weird sort of digital look in places. I think it's still quite funny. The cast is amazing. Obviously, James Gunn can get people to come and do what they want. I think the way he sent off some of the original squad was kind of cool and made it his own. I'd still like to see the original version as filmed of Suicide Squad, not The Suicide Squad. And I'd like to see James Gunn do a sequel. I know he's doing Peacemaker Season 2, but I'd like to see another Suicide Squad movie from him, if that was ever going to be a possibility. Um, I also then flipped into watching Wonder Woman 84. Now, I know everyone hates this movie. I saw it in the cinema. It was my first cinema showing um, pre-pandemic. And then I came back and watched Tenant. And everyone liked Tenant. I hated it. Um, and I liked Wonder Woman 1984. I thought it was full of actual wonder. I think the invisible jet, jet scene um, and everything else, seeing it in the cinema... It had that thing of wonder. Now, I can see why people don't like it now. Looking at it now, it um, has quite a few issues. 
I think people who saw it on HBO Max or downloaded it or wherever else, they're the people that didn't like it. Now, I understand that completely because I can see why they didn't like it. It's... I mean, let, let's not get into the whole thing about, you know, she's basically... Um, um, she's basically going off with Steve Trevor, who isn't Steve Trevor. She has sex with a man who's magically someone else it's a bit revenge of the nerds creepy um i like chris pine the best of the chrises he's very good he's very good in this movie he's got great comic timing i think he is a real boon to this movie the effects i think are great it's weird to say i will always yawn during these podcasts i do have my energy drink with me i have had a coffee and i will always yawn um, my new job does have me getting up at three in the morning, so I will be yawning continuously. I do apologize for that. Um, yeah, um, I think that it's one of these films that you can see the budget on the screen. It was very expensive. There are a couple of weird shots that don't really work, but that's superhero movies. There's also a shot in the Egypt like highway chase where the wheels of one of the trucks are pixelated. And I don't know if it's a weird thing with my disc it can't be because it's like a really specific shot it kind of looks like it should be blurred but it's almost like they've tried to fbi'd someone's face out of like news footage it's really weird it's like really big chunky pixels and i'm not seeing anyone notice it i watched it my setup i've got a panasonic oled and a panasonic um 4k player so it's all panasonic led and if you feed it a disc that has Dolby Vision and HDR10+, it defaults to 10+. I'm not a format warrior. I don't give a fuck. I think the HDR10 plus is fine. Um, I ate, See, I'm one of the only people out there who can A to B this stuff. I can actually turn off Dolby Vision or turn off HDR10 plus and see what the difference looks like. None of you people in America with your LGs who are saying that HDR10 plus sucks can do this. They just think it's a Samsung format. I'm watching it on a properly well-made Panasonic OLED, like one of the best OLEDs you could get at that price range at that point. Um, I'm not an OLED fanboy. I don't think the technology is amazing. I only bought one because Panasonic fixed most of the problems with the LG panel. All those problems have now become part of the LG infrastructure going forward, like heat sinks and all this other stuff Panasonic did first. Um, and now it's a case of, oh, LG did it. Oh, wow. Oh, look at this. Gold Star did this. Lucky Gold Star. Oh, well, who cares? At the end of the day, Panasonic fixed your panel. Sony fixed your panel. Sony were the first to market with OLED anyway. Um, if I did get another OLED, it would be a Panasonic or a Sony. They are just better, infinitely. Um, now they've got like the QD OLED or whatever it is, where you know there's the extra things but i have to watch that scene again and default the system to dolby vision and default the system to hdr 10 basic as well just to see if the pixelation's there because it's really it's specifically on the truck wheels that's what i don't understand you know a simple blur function would be easier if they wanted to convey motion so i don't know what it is it's really bizarre um sticking with the warner brothersness um I haven't watched it again yet, but my one of my pickups was The Batman. I got the stillbook, which is sort of the question mark head. Mine came with three equidistant dents in the cover. Now, 
I was tempted to send this back or just ask for a refund. Um, so I did ask for a refund in the end and I was tempted to just buy another copy just to have one that's not dented. However, I don't really care. I turned my refund into two other discs which haven't come yet. I've got a steelbook of, I'll get the again, the 2014 Godzilla on 4K coming because it was really cheap on Amazon Italy. I bought this from Amazon Italy. Um, and open range, because I realise I don't own open range on Blu-ray. Um, the 101 films in the UK is, I believe, 1080i and 2.0 on the soundtrack, and it's got one of the best 5.1 soundtracks ever made. So there's no reason not to have the 5.1 mix, because it's absolutely stunning. So hopefully that will turn up pretty soon. Um, I'll keep going through the pickups, actually, rather than just keep at the DC things, and I'll go right back around to what I've watched. Um, I also picked up a, another film, which I saw in the cinema in that same exact IMAX, actually. Um, we have June, the Denis Villeneuve um, version. I've got the reprint of the Stillbook, because it sold out initially. Same with Nowhere Home and Batman. They mostly all sold out, and they've reprinted June. So I had a pre-order down on Amazon Italy, because they got the um, pre-order up first. Um, this is a film I really, really loved. I wish... It said part one on the steelbook or anywhere on the packaging because it'd be much nicer when part two comes out and it'll stick together. I'm yawning again. Um, I like this film a lot. My brother watched it and hated it, which is weird because he loves all of his movies and he likes slow plodding movies and films that are about visuals and stuff like that. And it's really weird that he didn't like it, but I absolutely love it and I can't wait to revisit it again. I'm going to have to watch it on a night, which is good that winter's coming in in the UK now because ambient light in my OLED, or most OLEDs, in fact, I mean, it's, what, seven, 800 nits, that OLED? So it's not like one of these ones that's retina searing like the new ones are, but it's good enough. Um, I'm going to have to watch it on Dark Knight because it's a dark-ass movie, and even Dolby Vision tone mapping it, I don't think it's going to help. Um, I think it will need, you know, something to balance it out, so we need to watch it on a dark night. Um, we also got a film I got very cheap from Rare, Rare Waves, I think they're called. Um, and I'm a bit worried about it. It came yesterday. Um, I got a Kira on 4K. Now, I was never going to buy this because the DNR on it and the issues with the HDR and everything else. And I think it was under £10 or like £10 something. So I thought, well, why not? It's a tenner. I might as well pick up the 4K of Akira. However... The version that came yesterday, I'm just looking at it now because I got home and just sort of put it to one side, has not got 4K listed anywhere. And I know they did a um, refund, replacey sort of thing uh, from Funimation. But there is no 4K logos just looking at the disc on the disc either. Um, so I don't know if it is actually the new replacement disc. I'll have to Google and see if there's like something on it that says like, v2 or replacement or something like that so i can identify which version i'll obviously put it in the player and see if it comes up and shows as hdr if not i'll have to get all the funimation and get a replacement disc which sucks but for under a tenner i thought i'd pick it up i thought it was worth a shout and the last pickup was um the imprint disc of things to do in dev when you're dead which is the gary felder film directed by uh, directed he directed that um written by scott rosenberg who's one of my favorite writers um i love this film i used to watch it on vhs all the time and then on dvd and latest um 
it's one of these films that I used to know off by heart. Literally, I used to know every single line in this film off by heart. I think it's great. Imprint, I've seen issues with their stuff before where it's an older master transfer or whatever else. And they just put it out in a nice box. But they have been doing some good things with some of their discs. Um, I've got their Night of the Living Dead, the Tom Savini remake. I like that movie. So in theory... I haven't put this in. It's probably the older HDTV master that's on the, I think, American Blu-ray, but that was region locked. This isn't region locked, and even if it would be, it'd be region B, which I'm in, being in the UK. Um, it has a stereo soundtrack and a 5.1 mix, even though it was a 1995, yeah, 1995 film. So it would be 5.1 anyway. It's cool. It's got a nice slip case. It's actually got um, new extras and stuff, which is fantastic. Um, I haven't flicked through it yet and had a look, but I love that film and I think it's well worth picking up. I got it. It was very expensive for what it is. I think imprint, even though um, I've got family in Australia who could possibly, if I asked nicely enough, pick them up cheaper and post them cheaper. Important from um, Viavision slash imprint to the UK is very expensive. Um, I just wanted Amazon because I found out it came out and decided to pick it up. Um, I do want to pick up their um, um, their noir box set with blue steel and everything else, but that's going to be stupid expensive. So that's on a a very very good flush payday type of payday, I think. Um, going back to what I've been watching, I watched Underwater, which is the film with um, Kirsten Stewart. It's a film that I bought because there was a 4K version at the time. I bought the iTunes version just for streaming just to watch in hdr and 4k and i got halfway through it when it first came out um i didn't dislike it i think it was just like a tired day or a day where i just couldn't get into something i thought it's fine tj miller obviously problematic won't go into that um vincent cassell is one of my favorite actors i think he's a genius so it's great to see him in it and i like films like that like the leviathan abyss the underwater peril sort of, you know, submarine movie thing. So I I was shocked I didn't like it. I just went vibing with it. So I watched it again. And I put on my iTunes version for about two minutes because it was left at exactly the point I left it. And I thought, well, no, actually, let's have a look at options. So I looked for discs and there are some 4Ks out there. Um, but none of them have the Atmos sound, I don't think. So I had a look on Disney Plus and it's streaming on Disney Plus with Dolby Vision and Atmos. So the 5.1 on the iTunes version is fine. But film shot in Dolby Atmos, I wanted that especially with like the pressure and the water above you. So the feeling of claustrophobia in Atmos with the height speakers actually really works. So I thought I'd watch it on that. And I, I dug it. I thought it was quite good. I was very tired watching it. It's a very dark movie. But it worked. I finished it, which is great. And I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm going to have to do... It's inspired me to go back. And I've been going back through submarine movies anyway. Um, I've got a few of them to hand out in my collection. Like Black Sea, Das Boot, because Wolfgang Peterson dying. Um, Hunt for Red October, Crimson Tide, things like that. Um, the Next Land of Watchcast, a podcast to listen to. They've been doing submarine movies. So I wanted to go back and look at a few of them. Plus Leviathan, the Abyss, you know, anything where it's stuff, you know, underwater, high pressure, things. Like that. I, I quite like 
that sort of weird sort of subgenre. The Below, I need to watch again. I haven't seen that in years. Um, what was the other one that was like The Below? There was another movie that was... Oh, I'm going to blank on this. But it was that type of, you know, station underground or underwater. You've got Sphere, which isn't really like that, and it's boring. Um, but yeah, I, I like those type of movies, so I need to watch more of them. Um, I also watched a very Brady sequel. I love the Brady Bunch movie. The sequel was written by Kaplan and Elfont, who did Can't Hardly Wait, and one of my favourite films, Jason the Puscat. I love those two movies. Um, and I've always liked the very Brady sequel, but in the UK it went straight to video, which was a shame. Um, I like a very Brady sequel. It's very not very ambitious in its sequelness, but like Roger Ebert said, they're one movie away from getting it perfect. Like the first Brady Bunch, it was a great idea. This doesn't focus too much on the fact that they're out of time. It just focuses on the family and a story they want to tell with the family. Um, it riffs on the same sort of things. Um, I kind of wanted to see it again because watching Fled last week and RuPaul's cameo, RuPaul's in both of the Brady Bunch movies as the guidance counsellor for the school. And it just sort of reminded me that a very Brady sequel existed. It's very hard to find, especially in the UK. I know there's a double pack that's come out in the US on Blu-ray. I need to pick that up at some point. I like a very Brady sequel. I think it's funny. I think it's clever. Um, it's stupidly well cast as well. Um, the family is fantastic. The way they got their dynamics right. And Christine Taylor deserved a better career. It seems like... There we go. You know, and again, it seems like when she became like Mrs. Ben Stiller and started appearing in his stuff she didn't do much else and that's a shame because I think she's really good in what she does and she should do more she's got great comic timing she's got great screen presence and I think she should be a bigger part of it um, the last thing I watched was a new film, it's a film from this year it's Samaritan now I only watched this I saw the trailers and the posters and all this other stuff, I don't like, I don't dislike um Schwarzenegger that's Schwarzenegger Stallone even but I watched this because I found out it was made by the director who made Overlord and Overlord is fucking great Overlord my brother and I saw in the cinema it was a little Nazi zombie film that no one really cared about it had an amazing poster um and that seemed to be about it no one really paid attention to Overlord and it made me a bit sad because I thought it was really well made I've got to pick that up on 4k actually at some point but it's painful that no one really paid it much attention. So I thought, do you know what? I'm going to support him. I'll be there day one and I'll pay some attention to Samaritan. It starts off with a cool premise in that you've got um, Nemesis and Samaritan, the two brothers that are super-powered, um, they fall out, they battle to the death, and they're both meant to die in this fire. Then you have this kid who's trying to prove that everyone he ever knows could be Samaritan, and Samaritan's still alive, he's still got faith that Samaritan's alive. Is his next-door neighbour, the guy who fixes things that gets thrown in the trash, and is a bus driver, is he Samaritan? And that's Sylvester Stallone. This film isn't very good. It's a shame because I really wanted to like it. I say I like the director. I wanted wanting to like it. 
the opening with the comic book pages is terrible it's very badly done i don't know if it's because it was a covid movie there were reshoots during covid it's also because of mgm was straight to amazon joint in the end um it's got its moments um Martin Starr, I think it is, is like this conspiracy nut who writes books about Samaritan. He seems like he had a larger part and it's not there anymore. The twist is pretty obvious. There is a twist in it. The guy who plays the bad guy, I can't remember his name, and I'm probably not going to be able to pronounce it. Um, let's have a look. He was the bad guy in Overlord as well. Um Oh, God, I'm not going to be able to pronounce his name. Piru Asbiak. Um, he's Danish, I believe. Yeah, he's he's been in a lot of films that I will stand up for, which is a good thing for me, because I will stand up. Oh, he's an Acroman too. Interesting. Um, yeah, he's in Uncharted um, as a bad guy. He plays a really good bad guy. Um, he was in Game of Thrones. Um, Overlord, yeah, he was the bad guy in Overlord. He was great in Overlord. He's also in Ghost of the Shell. As Batu- I like Ghost of the Shell. Um, I saw that in IMAX in 3D, and it was amazing. I don't care what people say, especially about the whitewashing. I don't like the whitewashing, but I think it's great. Um, he's great in it. He's having great fun. He's chewing the scenery. He's having the time of his life being a bad guy. And there are some cool little moments and bits in Samaritan. There's the worst de-aging I've ever seen. It's not even de-aging. It's just like a cutscene from a video game. And I know people say that a lot. But if you watch this scene with um, the young Samaritan, it's, it's insane how much it looks like a... 360 ps3 sort of era cutscene so it's good you know it's not like the beginning of lockout or you know some of the really bad cg you see in these movies it's good but it's good for about 15 years ago um it's just really out of place which is bizarre and strange um it's not a special effects heavy thing i don't think it had a massive budget um, I don't remember issues with Overlord thing um, CG, and there's some really quite bad. Um, oh, what's it called? Um, um, like green screen. So that might be COVID, to be fair, and is a scene where a building's completely on fire. So I get that you want safety and all this other stuff. You know, this this makes sense, um, but it's. It's really embarrassing, some of it, and it's a shame because I think it's a movie like two or three edits away from being good. I didn't, it did dislike it. It was, I watched it as a Saturday night flick, you know. I put it on Saturday night and just sat there and, and thought, hey, I'll watch a cheesy flick. I was going to watch Morbius. This is how, this is what this is like. It was like, oh, I might watch Morbius. No, I might, I'm going to watch Samaritan. It was that kind of a conversation in my head where I was like, I'm not bored enough for Morbius and Samaritan's a new film. I want to support that director. I want to show my support of like, hey, what's this like? Um, it's just a shame it didn't really work for me. It's got some moments, like I say. Um, 
some of the effects are quite good. There's a bit um, with a bomb and an upturned car that the effects are pretty good on it. It's just this, there's a few little bits. And again, COVID movies, I give them a lot more slack because they were making films under extreme pressures that no one else dealt with. I mean, I worked all through COVID, so it was a real stressy time. It was a real hard time because you didn't know, no one had ever been through it before. So I give them a lot of slack for things like that. But I just wish, I wish they... I wish they didn't release it when they released it. I think if they put another couple of million into it, spruced up some effects, pushed it. But I think any film with an old Stallone isn't going to be like the biggest push of a blockbuster ever unless you get someone like a James Gunn or like if Matt Reeves cast him in the next Batman or like with Suicide Squad where he was like um, King Shark's voice. I get that. You want him as a supporting character. You want him to be like that. You don't. I don't think he can lead or open a big film anymore. This is where someone will say, hey, last year he did this and it made $7 billion. I don't remember him doing anything recent. I mean, he was in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, you know. He's, he's good as a supporting actor now. He's a good actor. I just think he's, he's not the draw he was in the 70s and 80s because he's not that person anymore. You know, that started declining in the 90s, you know, when he did, like, Oscar and things like that. I saw Oscar in the cinema. Um, I like Oscar. I saw um, some my mum will shoot in the cinema, believe it or not. Um, so that's what I've been watching. Those are my pickups for this week. There will be less pickups next week. Um, I think Open Range will turn up and my copy Godzilla as well. I'll have to watch both of those. I'm really looking forward to watching Open Range again. I saw that in the cinema and the sound mix was insane. So it'd be good to see it on a proper lossless disc. So we'll segue straight into news. Um, there's It's been a slow and a big news week. Um, it's been interesting, actually. So there's a few little bits I've picked out. Um, there will be an Austin Powers box set that's coming out in the UK from HMV. Now, I know there's been a box set in the US, but in the UK it's a little bit more complicated because... Um, the first one isn't owned by Warner Brothers slash um, New Line Cinema. So it's always going to be a little bit weird. And there's also a separate UK cut. I went to see Austin Powers in the cinema. Um, it's sold out completely. So we went to see Saw the Full Monty instead. And it was not a bad swap, don't get me wrong. But there are... I got it on Laserdisc, is where I first saw it. I got the US New Line Laserdisc. Um, and obviously that's the American cut of the film, the theatrical cut. The UK cut is different. There are some deleted scenes put in. There's a Christian Slater cameo. You know, it's some weird stuff that isn't even in the movie. And I only found this out on the UK DVD. Because um, I kept the Laserdisc. It's one of the later Laserdiscs that I picked up. So, you know, I didn't... Oh, we've got a little bit of a... So I picked up the Laserdisc at the time it came out, the US version. And I'd literally never seen the UK cut until someone said to me about, oh, there's this brilliant bit with Christian Slater and whatever else. And I'm like, sorry, what? You know, Christian Slater's not in Austin Powers. What are you talking about? I like Christian Slater. Are you thinking of the cameo he's got in Star Trek Six? You know, this is just not a thing. And then I watched the UK version. I was like, oh, 
there's a different version of this film. So it came out on Blu-ray for the first time not long ago. Um, and I think it's Fabulous Films released it. But it is the UK cut. I've got the UK cut digitally on iTunes just because I wanted a copy of it. And it's weird that this collection is coming out. Um, it's got Warner Brothers logo on it. So I assume it's ports of the American discs. But it desperately needs a remaster, in my opinion. They're old, old transfers. Um, they're still the original transfers you had from DVD and Lasdisc for the first two. Um, they're fine, but I think it needs a remaster in a 4K version. I'd rather be watching the 4K version of it. Looking at the disc art, it hasn't got Warner Brothers logo on the original film, so I'm guessing it is the UK cut, which is great. I mean, it should be preserved. I think it should have both cuts in the box, but apparently I don't think we're going to get it. I think people in the UK are so used to the UK version, they probably don't even know there's an American version that exists. Um, it comes with some other bits and bobs, um, slipcase with exclusive artwork, which is actually quite nice. Um, 32-page booklet, Character cards, theatrical poster, and in-world spy ID card. You know, physical tap is kind of pointless. Um, but Icon released it last year through Fabulous or one one or the other or the other way around. And hopefully, fingers crossed, they will be new versions, but I don't think they will. I'm not going to jump on it straight away. I'd rather wait and see what's going on and like reviews of what the transfers are like. Moving on to Sony Pictures Classic. There's a 30th anniversary collection. It's very expensive. Um, basically, it's 30 years of Sony Pictures Classics. It's $300, which is insane. It comes with Orlando, The City of Lost Children, Sailor Lord Closet, Run Lola Run, or Ren It Lola Ren It, I think it's the original title, SLC Punk, which I found out today for the first time, Salt Lake City Punk. I think I've seen it on VHS not since. Um, the Devil's Backbone... Volva, um, I always get pronounced wrong. Sink douche, sink douche, New York or whatever it is. I sing, sing, sinich, douche. I don't know. Um, Still Alice, Call Me By Your Name, and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Now, there are some films in there that I love. Um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon already came out in 4K. This is a new version with Dolby Vision. All these have Dolby Vision, um, but this has been previously released. The Devil's Backbone Criterion have put out. I don't think they have a 4K, though. I will just double check. No, it's just a Blu-ray. So, who cares? Um, I don't know if it has a lot of extras. Let's have a look. Do, 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 do. This is gripping podcast material here. Oh, it has got quite a few extras on it. That's fine. So, the 4K version... I don't know if it has any extras on that disc. Um, but it's it's an interesting selection, shall, shall we say. So, Backbone I'd buy. Crash Tiger I'd buy. Because I never bought the original version of it. Sea of Lost Children is one of my favourite films. Um, I'm a bit worried that Jean-Pierre Jeunet is involved. Because he loves DNR. And I think it would... If Sony just do it themselves and don't involve him in the transfer and just transfer from the original neg, it should be fine. 
It'll look gorgeous because Darius Conji shot the shit out of that film. It is beautiful. Um, Run Lola Run, I love. I would love to own that in 4K. Same with SLC Punk. It's fun. If you had a box set for like 100 quid with all of those in, I'd buy that in a heartbeat. But 300 with films that are okay to me and films that I would never rewatch. I don't think I would... I'd jump on any of that, to be honest. Um, I mean, The City of Lost Children has new stuff, so it's got a new commentary with Jeunet, so they've obviously reached out to him, which is a little bit worrying. I mean, Tom Toyka did a new commentary on Run Lola Run. Run. Um, It looks like most of them, apart from Crouching Tiger, has, you know, extras and things like that. However, Devil's Backbone does have a lot of extras. So it looks like it might have, correct me if I'm wrong, all the Criterion extras. Yes, looking at that, it does. So, I mean, Sony and Criterion are intrinsically linked anyway because they distribute them. Um, so that makes some sort of sense. It's just really expensive. I Obviously, their box sets, um, their Columbia box sets have sold well because why, if it didn't sell well, would they be doing this? There is no reason for them to be putting out stuff like this if they weren't selling well. So I'm guessing someone somewhere is buying the box sets because $300 for this, obviously it'll go on sale pretty damn quickly. Um, but it's a bit crazy that, you know, they get to that type of price point, $300. Hmm. I don't buy it. I mean, hopefully they won't release it over here. They'll just release it just separately or somewhere in the UK or somewhere in the UK, somewhere in the world or Europe or Japan or whatever will release it just separately. So I can just ideally get City of Lost Children. If I can get anything out of box set, that would be the one as long as it's not been um, completely destroyed by DNR. Um, Wayne's World has been confirmed. It has a date of November the 15th, going back to Mike Myers. Um, I don't know if it has any extras. I'm just looking now to see if I can get any details on it. Um, it doesn't look like there is much in the way of details. Um, I know it will just be the the normal home video version, so... No stairway will, you know, the stairway to heaven bit won't be in there. So that's fine. I wish it was both. I wish it was double packed with the sequels because it's one of the only sequels I think actually works. Um, I'll pick it up. I don't like Paramount's output. I think that they've managed the managed the picture and the grain way too much. I think it's a big issue for me the way this stuff looks. So. I'm not a fan. I'll see what the screenshots look like in the reviews and go from there. But if it gets cheap in a 2 for 30 or 3 for 30 or whatever, I'll happily pick that up because Wayne's World's great. Like I say, I just wish it was both of them together. Um, Toe Pooper's Fun House has been confirmed to be coming out. Um, I think it might already be out, actually, now I say this. I might be behind on this news. Oh, it came out this week. Okay, fair enough. Um, that is another um, Shout Factory joint, so that can rot in a fire somewhere. I like that movie. It's fine. Um, the Driver, Water Hill film, which famously 
noted movie critic Jonathan Ross once said to me was a film made for made by um uh who did he say he made it? Oh, damn it. It's uh, Michael Mann. He said, Oh yeah, it's a Michael Mann film. I was like Michael Mann did make the driver. It was a Walter Hill film. <laughs> Fucking ins- you're meant to be a film critic. Um and then I ratted him out to Kevin Smith on it in person and he blocked me completely, Jonathan Ross, because I told on him to Kevin Smith because he was backmouthing Kevin Smith. So I told Kevin Smith. Um, and yeah, it all blew up. And it was fun. That was my one came to fame. It's like Jonathan Ross and Russell Brand blocked me on the same night because I exposed Jonathan Ross as not knowing fuck all about a lot of movies and being a dick. Because um, the way he was talking um about um kevin especially was just really shitty so i basically threw him under the bus um when i um met kevin and i was just like no and it kind of yeah it blew up a little bit um eight mile is coming out from universal there is a still book um and a normal edition um kurtz hansen film i like kurtz hansen films i don't like eight mile it's all right um I don't like um, Eminem anymore. I thought he was fine when he first came out. I saw him live, I think, when his second album came out. This is just wish fulfillment. It's just a weird little movie. I have no need for it in a collection, especially on 4K. It's it's all right. I know there are fans out there. People will love that. So that's cool. But it's just not something that grabs me and pulls me in. The Driver, I will definitely probably pick up. Um, that is a cool ass film it's very much a mood piece and i do like it so we'll go into the main um thrust of the episode the main topic this came about because of one thing i watched this is why i delayed the podcast and then i started this job and didn't have time to actually do it this week i saw star trek to the wrath of khan odin the uk um in the cinema showed star trek um, the Motion Picture, and Wrath of Calm. Now, I saw in the Odeon, no, the MGM in Bournemouth, in Westover Road, a cinema that is very long closed now. Um, I saw 4, 5, and 6 in 35mm, and they had the premiere of Generations. You had to watch them all in a row. Um, and the P- Generations you saw, I think, a week before the proper premiere, I can't find anything that backs this up, though. I can't find my original ticket. I can't find anything listing this anywhere. Um, you think with Trek, people do keep this stuff down. Um, but I'm just Googling. Watch Star Trek Generations. Early MGM cinemas. Um and it was great. I mean, my brother came with me and my friend as well. It was really a cool little thing. The week before, they did one, two, and three. Um, and I couldn't make that. Even it's, it's a shame. I wish I did because obviously in Wrath of Khan in 35mm, it would have been great. Um, but unfortunately, I couldn't make that. So I never got to see it. But four, five, six was great in Generations. Original theatrical cuts, obviously, in 35mm. Seeing Generations early was cool. Um, 
it was a nice, neat little thing as a big Trekkie to see this stuff. Um, but I, I couldn't, you know, go and see this stuff. It was cool that they've shown these two again. I wish they'd shown them all. But they were the digital new DCPs. So, for example, Rathcon that I saw had the new BBFC logo with the 12 rating, and it's the director's cut, which is a shame. I'd wish it was because it's the theatrical experience. It was the theatrical cut. I don't mind the director's cut of Rathcon. I like the director's cut of Rathcon. I just would like to have seen the theatrical cut theatrically because... It's theatrical cut for a reason. Um, apart from having a crackly left-hand speaker, which whenever it was on the bridge, it must have been low resonance stuff. So it was on the bridge or anywhere on the Enterprise or on the um, the Grissom, you had... Is the Grissom in that? Oh, no, I'm thinking of Star Trek Three. So it would have been the... Oh, What was the other ship in Wrath of Khan? I'm going to... All my Trekkie cards are just completely thrown to the floor now. Uh, Star Trek, two ships. Uh, Let's have a look. Um, Whenever you're on one of those ships, though, um, the low-resonance rumble, it would make the speaker to my left-hand side crackle like absolute mad and it did my head in because it's on the ships quite a lot so even when it's on um like anything that has that you know the engine stuff um reliant of course it's reliant damn it why didn't i it's I've, i've had a lot of early starts this week i'm just calling it that i do know about star trek i love star trek um yeah so it's it's kind of crazy that you know when they're on that on the regular one or whatever else it's it's that low rumble it's it just went nuts in my left hand ear which really pissed me off um but it was cool to see rathcarn in cinema i think the 4k masters fine um there's some brightness and color issues which people are now noticing on star trek 6 apparently now that this box set's come out um i want to pick up the box set just because i don't own them um on anything apart from laser disc and dvd because you can't get the original audio on dvd or um sorry blu-ray or 4k it's all 7.1 the blu-rays obviously were notoriously dnr'd and i wouldn't pay money for them so I've had to live on um, contacts who have 35mm versions. So I can watch them occasionally. Um, laser discs, which, you know, look, for all my pandering and everything else, I don't watch a lot of laser discs. It's 2022. Unless the film is only on laser disc or cuts only on laser discs. So Slipstream, uh, Mark Hamill film from Steam J. Lesberger, I, it's only on widescreen on laser disc. I will watch that laser disc. Um, Ransom, the director's cut only on Lasedisc. I will have to watch Lasedisc if I want to see Ransom, the director's cut. Um, Wired Up, the director's cut of that, only on Lasedisc. You know, there are certain things you have to stick to a format on. Now, Star Trek VI, Michael will be signed by David Warner on Lasedisc. I love that movie. And 
And the only way I could watch it really is on Laces because the Blu-ray is disgusting. I mean, it's supposed to watch it on DVD, but, you know, the PCM uncompressed audio on the Laces is probably the better way to watch it for sound. Obviously, the picture is a little bit better on the DVD in places. So I thought what I'd do is a ranking of the original six Star Trek movies in celebration of Star Trek Day and the fact that the box set has come out with the first six movies. Um, so I thought, let's go back and let's have a look. And this could be um, a little bit, hmm, let's say, controversial in places. It might be, it might not. Um, but I thought, hey, this is my list. You can disagree with it. And that's where discussion comes in. I did want to do this with a guest, and I might revisit it. Um, I've still got Next Generation ones to do, which I might lump in the Abrams um, movies as well, the Calvin, uni Calvin universe. Um, I am still a Trek fan. I watch Stranger Worlds. I watch Disco. I watch Picard. So I watch all this stuff still because I am a Star Trek fan. I'm not one of these people who's easily offended because something's gone quote-unquote woke or something like that. I don't care as long as the story's good. Picard season two, I didn't like that much because the story wasn't good. Um, it just went weird places. It's not the fact that, oh my God, there's a black woman or, oh my God, there is a woman full stop. I don't care about that stuff. Um, I'm not that person. I'll never be that person. So that doesn't bother me. I like Trek. Um, I've always liked Trek. So this is who I am and this is what I like. Now, I'm going to start with my least favourite and work towards my favourite. People who know me can probably already guess this list. There will be one controversial thing, I'm sure, which is probably this first three in the six. Um, the worst Star Trek movie for me is Star Trek The Motion Picture. Now, I know people call it the slow motion picture. Um, I'm kind of a little bit with Kevin Smith in the the beauty shots of the Enterprise go on for about 17 hours and it is beautiful. It did some amazing work. You know, it's very pretty. Um, however, I think when ILM got involved in Star Trek 2 onwards, um, was it, they did 2, 3, 4, and 6. I think they didn't do 5 because they cut the budget on 5 and they couldn't afford ILM, plus they were busy. Um... It just goes on forever. And I don't, I'm not one of these Trek fans who retroactively doesn't like Gene Roddenberry. I mean, we wouldn't have it. He was very progressive in some ways. He was very regressive, especially in his treatment of women. Um, however, that's not part of it. It's just a very slow, boring story. The whole Vija thing and the story itself could have been done well. It takes. What, 30 minutes to show us the Enterprise, 40 minutes to get all the cast back together from the original series, 40 minutes to introduce the new cast from Star Trek Phase 2 that was going to be the, the sequel series to the original series that ended up becoming the movie. And then it doesn't do anything. It's a shame because, you know, it had a good director, it had good effects, it had an interesting idea, but it was just... It just didn't work for me. And 
you know, I I like free enterprise as well. You know, the um, Burnett Mayer thing, and I don't like the fact that he's gatekeeping Trek now because the the special longer version that came out on Laserdisc and, D, and um, VHS, which is the only way where you could see Star Trek motion picture, is kind of better in some ways, even though it's longer, it's paced a little bit better because you know it's going to be longer. Um, then you've got the director's edition, which had, you know, obviously inherent issues with the way it was made with the DVD technology. It was only done 480 and the effects aren't finished and there are some issues, you know, with a cell not appearing, covered, all this stuff. It was okay. It was neat to own. It's cool to have this stuff. Um, the 4K, obviously, you have to get the big box set to get the special longer version, which is fucking stupid. It should be in the normal box set. Um, and you've got the new director's edition where they've redone the effects because they were only done in 480. <sighs> Look, I mean, I like the fact that I have Waterworld with the Ulysses cut, you know, in the TV version on the Arrow box set. That's great. I think that's cool. I want all the versions of these movies. However, it's a fucking fan edit. It's a fan edit with effects done in Photoshop. They weren't done very well. They look shit. They look like they were done after effects in an afternoon. They don't hold up on a big screen. They don't hold up in motion. There are some massive flaws where they're not done very well. It's an officially authorized fan edit. And that's fine. The Ulysses cut is a fan edit and... It's now official because Universal let Arrow put it out. And the TV cut is also on the official 4K of Waterworld as well. That's what that is. The director's edition, the director, he's dead. He had nothing to do with it. It's a fan edit with fan special effects and it's not done very well. That is something that really annoys me with that because it could have been like really, really good. It could have been like a really good idea, done really well, but it isn't. It's just, it's just a shame. And it's cool they let him go back and do his own version on DVD and re-edit it, re it again. It became a little bit like um, Oliver Stone's Alexander, where there's like 14 different versions because people keep going back to it and trying to fix it, which is stupid because you should just, you know, leave it alone. The problem is that you know, a director who got it and was less precious and knew how to work to a budget came in and sw swept it under the rug with a sequel, um, which is a shame. I like I like all Trek. Let's put it that way. I like all Trek. There's no real Trek that I don't like. Enterprise was hard for me. I don't love Enterprise. I've probably watched the least of that than I have anything else. Um, I've watched pretty much every other series apart from Lower Decks. Um, which I know everyone loves and I really should try and get into, but I just haven't really thought about it. Now that Solar Opposites is off season, I might pick that up as my new like go to like animated thing to watch when I eat my dinner. That could be a thing. Um, the next film in my ranking of OG Star Trek movies, so the second to bottom, is Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. When I got out of Wrath of Khan. I wanted to go straight into um, Search for Spock. And since they're not showing Search for Spock, they're only showing um, Motion Picture and Wrath of Khan theatrically, I gulled someone and said, I mean, very vague about this due to legalities, like, can I, can I come around and watch it 
with you um your 35 millimeter version and i watched it and it's print damagey it's an old release print it's not great looking it's cool you know watching the clean clear 4k version of ratha khan is one thing that's great um this is better because it's so much cooler to watch you know a full unadulterated print damagey you know proper release print like it would have been originally i love that i think that's really cool um and it's fantastic to see it you know in that sort of thing but three even though it's it's well made um i like christopher lloyd as the bad guy sort of um i think the bird of prey which is originally meant to be romulan um but they decided not to have romulan they changed it to klingons which is fine um the bird of prey is cool the fact that it it changed all that stuff up um i i get it's it's neat um i don't like the fact they recast savic i know kirsty alley was being difficult shall we say um the new actress isn't as good and doesn't have the charisma i know she's vulcan so she shouldn't but still i don't think it works as well um it's cool what they do with david i think it's a good plot device to have him around and give kirk some motivation which leads into um undiscovered country which is great i have no issue with that the effects aren't as good they seem a bit cheap and it doesn't really go anywhere it just feels like oh shit we killed spock well he gave us like 17 different get out clauses so let's find a way to get out of it and let's go search for spock and see if we can find him i know they tried to keep the destruction of the enterprise which is a ballsy thing to do but they try to keep it quiet you know shout about the fact the enterprise gets destroyed but it leaked anyway apparently so that kind of ruined it it must have been cool to have seen it like day one if you didn't know the enterprise is going to blow up and they literally and that's a great scene i am balled out in that scene it's gorgeous when they blow that thing up it's such an amazing shot um but it doesn't really do anything you know there's some cool bits where you know they're on shore leave and you get a horrid and um um you know all the team going back and doing their like shore leave style stuff and there's the good bit where they're sort of spying and you get um them trying to sneak around and steal the enterprise and um scotty damages the transwarp thing on um excelsior which apparently set the federation back like 200 years or something stupid 80 years um which i think is fantastically stupid um i it's it's not a bad film i don't think any of these are bad films i just think it doesn't go anywhere or tell a story that is that compelling um which is weird because star trek 5 which i'm imagining most of you are thinking hey why isn't star trek 5 right at the bottom or second from bottom i like star trek 5 i think it's got massive issues that only come out of the fact that shatner had his budget destroyed they couldn't have ilm because they were busy i can't remember what they were doing at the time but they couldn't do um star trek 5 for the cost they wanted to do it for and the time allocation so they cheat down the effects that means they couldn't have the rock monster fight that shatner originally had in the script um it tells a better story i think religion with trek is a good thing to go down i think the search for god is fantastic um for a plot premise i think bringing in cyborg 
showing Spock's half-brother and all this other stuff is great. It's good character motivation. Um, it gives Spock something to do. It gives Kirk something to do. I think it's the first appearance of Dave Warner in a Star Trek thing. Um, I wish I got him to sign something Star Trek V as well, but he only signed my Star Trek VI these days. So that's like, you know, it's it's cool that you have... I like how dirty it is. It's like Mad Max um, crossed with Star Trek, which isn't a bad thing. And yes, it has the fan dance, which is, which is weird, but it gives Nichols something to do as well, you know? It gives everyone something to do. It's just a bit shit and cheap you know all the effects are obvious like the um the hover boot things and the fact that he's climbing a very fake rock at the beginning and the the ship effects aren't very good and the bad guys are actually quite i like cyborg i like the whole mind control thing i like the you know the search for shakari and all this other stuff and you know what would god need with a starship and you know, that I couldn't help but notice your pain. It's a line so good that Tupac sampled it for a, a song from the Above Maroon soundtrack. You know, it's it's a good film in a lot of ways, and it should be a great film, only if the, the budget was there and the belief was there. Because I think that Shatner's unfairly maligned for the fact that his film didn't do as well and people think it's bad or whatever else. I don't think it's bad. It didn't do well. There are some major issues with it. Absolutely, there's some huge issues with it. But that doesn't mean it's bad. That just means it's unfulfilled. I think it had a lot of promise that just kind of went nowhere, which is kind of a shame. We'll move on to number um, four in the list, which is Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. It's a great film and a good comedy. Now, that shouldn't really be what Star Trek is. Star Trek was always my, like more light-hearted than most things. You know, even Wrath of Khan, for as dark as it is, has some, you know, some good lines and some good jokes and some good moments. This is more straight-out comedy, in a way. It's kind of farcical in places. Can you tell Lenny Moy went on to direct, you know, things like Three Men and a Baby, you know, and things like this, and you know, you can see where that those trappings came in, you know, where he gets the comic timing, he gets the flow of these things, and he he's actually quite an accomplished director in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, he did Star Trek Three, you know, he's he's a good director. Um, he just needed the material, I think, to play to his sensibilities, and I think Four does that quite well. I think it's got great effects. It's got a great plot. I mean, the time travel thing, it's a great idea and it's well executed. Um, the problem with Thor is there's no real bad guys. There's the probe, which is kind of like Vija. It's, it's Vija again, but done better. The time travel stuff works for me. I like seeing them as a fish out of water. I like seeing them, you know, trying to fit in with the 20th century because it is quite it's quite interesting it's quite a novel thing then i mean star trek's done time travel since you know the original series sitting on the edge of forever and things like this you know where they go back to 
you know, um, modern, quote-unquote, 20th century times. Seeing them here, you know, the search for nuclear vessels and all this other stuff, it's fun, it's funny, it's well-made. The effects are brilliant. ILM really just came out and just beasted it. But it doesn't get, the, you know, higher than position four because I don't think the stakes are there and it needs a better villain than a probe that wishes around. You know, it's just and all these other weird noises, and that's all it does. I mean, it shuts down power, but it's not doing it maliciously. There's no threat there because there's no one threatening. It comes to talk to whales. They need to get whales and get them back. It's mostly an excuse for, you know, the comedy moments and for seeing the crew out of sorts, which is great, don't get me wrong. It's fantastic. It's also the last time you'll see the crew together on a bridge. Um, it's the bridge of the um, Bird of Prey from Star Trek 3, but it's a bridge nonetheless. Um, because after this, um, Chekhov gets his own um, command and he goes off on Excelsior, you know, and... It's not Chekhov, is it? Sulu, sorry. Sulu gets his own command, because obviously... Well, I don't know if it's obviously, but I, I, the impression I get is George K and him didn't get... And Kirk... Fucking hell. Shatner didn't get on very well, so therefore he gets his own command and Sulu goes off and has Excelsior instead. So it's the last time you see them all together on the bridge, and it's kind of cool to see them all together. He's got the reincarnated Spock, who's now got his his marbles back as McCoy would say and they're all together as a unit and it's the last time you see that which is a shame um I do like it a lot um putting it in fourth isn't a bad position out of six you know it's top three um I just think it needs more than it has next in the list is Star Trek 6 the undiscovered country as I've alluded to through most of this it's great um it has credible villains as a great, like, Cold War thriller plot. The director's cut of it is shit. I think it's three versions. There's the home version and the director's cut. The theatrical version is the best by far, by far, by far, by far. Um, also, with that, it was shot scope, but the 70mm blow-ups were 2.0 to 1, and I think all the home releases were the, that opened-up ratio. Which is weird. But Nicholas Mayer gets Star Trek because it's, you know, naval combat in space. And this works because of that. It's got plotting, pacing. The effects are amazing. ILM really did good work on this. Um, like I say, there's some apparently some colour issues on Star Trek Six on the 4K. I think Ruripente, the prison planet, the colour shift has been changed or something like that. So... I don't know that for sure. I've just seen Scuttlebutt on a few forums. I don't really do forums anymore. But I do look around when new releases I'm interested come out because someone would have taken screenshots for comparison or someone might have said something. Most people on them don't know what they're talking about. So I don't tend to put much faith in it. But there are times where I'll think, oh, so someone's seen something. That doesn't mean that they're right, but it would make me 
reassess maybe um, and think, ooh, should I look out for that? But apparently there are some changes. And the DNR's gone. Fucking great. Absolutely amazing. I'm glad that they're gone. Um, at least we've actually finally get rid of it. Um, however, I don't know what I'm going to do um, about the new you know, the the new cuts and the new versions and whatever else. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll see what happens with it. I think Star Trek six is a great film. Um, it's very well made. Christopher Plummer's having a great time. David Warner's having a great time. It's a great film that only gets trumped by the number one of the OG Star Trek movies for me, which is Ratha Khan. And that's why I went to see it in the cinema. If they showed them all, I'd see them all, to be honest. The motion picture I don't need to sit in a cinema for. I, it's just too long. Um, but Wrath of Khan just has that. We haven't got time. We haven't got money. We need to hustle mentality to it, where it's like, next scene, next scene, next scene, next scene, next scene. It's the first one ILM was involved in. They did amazing work. It looks good. It sounds good. It's well made. The pacing's fantastic. It clips on an amazing pace. The director's cut, like I say, is fine. I don't like the additions in six, but two, I can take or leave. They're fine. I like theatrical cuts of two. I don't hate the version there is there. It goes hard as well. I think it was like a 15 originally on UK home video because most of the earworm scene. Um, it brings back some of the original series in a good way with Khan and the whole setup with um, SETI Alpha 5 slash 6. Um, it gives Chekhov something to do because he's off on um, Excelsior. Oh, Excelsior. I did this earlier, didn't I? Reliant. Um, so it's the crew apart again because they're they're assigned differently because after the first one, obviously Kirk got promoted to Admiral. He got taken off the Enterprise um, because they don't fly starships. Um, Spock became captain, so he was captain, I think, of the Enterprise. This thing, I don't think they explicitly say it, but I think he is captain of the Enterprise, and they're just training up the new team to go out, the new crew. Um, Chekhov's obviously off on Reliant, um, and they don't go into who else is anywhere else because obviously, obviously, this big threat comes in with regular one and them having to go out, um, and then Kirk blows it up in three. And then he gets told off for it um, and they want to reprimand him. And it's only because he saves the world in four that he gets a new Enterprise in five, really. I mean, it's like, but he does get demoted down to captain again. But he'd rather be captain, I think, anyway, because he wants to be on a starship. And that's what's the best thing about it. It's the original team together because Chekhov does obviously come back aboard of the Enterprise as much as the Enterprise gets fucked up in this. And that's the thing. It's like the three-dimensional submarine battles um in the um nebula it's fantastically plotted it's tense it's a proper thriller of a star trek movie and i think that's what they should be i think with jj abrams he went out and out trying to make it star wars um and made it a bit too balls to the wall as much as i like those movies we'll go into that another time um but that's where justin lynn got it justin lynn just went fuck it we'll go all the way there and make star trek beyond and that's great i love that movie it's the best of the you know, giving it away um 
anyway, uh, but back to uh, Star Trek Two. I mean, it's a proper pot boiler. It's a thriller. It's a whodunit. You know, how are they going to get past this? How do you best someone that's more intelligent than you, that's stronger than you? I mean, Khan and Kirk never have a, a scene on screen together, but it doesn't matter. It's all down for view screens, and it's that tension. You know, Ricardo Montalban with his amazing chest, real slash not real, who knows? Um, and you know that huge push between a villain that nearly he he just really trumps them straight away. It's not like you know they pick a fight and they go for the tail between their legs. They get properly fucked up. They get bested pretty quick, and on the back foot the whole film. And that's brilliant because it it shows Kirk as a credible captain because he's trying to think on his feet and think of a way out of this. Is Kobayashi Maru his like his unwinnable um, thing where it's just like, you know, you, you, you're not going to be able to win through this. Something is going to go wrong, which turns out to be the death of Spock. You know, Spock sacrifices himself for the good of the enterprise and the good of the crew. And Kirk doesn't want that because he thinks he can get through everything with, you know, everything being fine. You know, there, there is no such thing as, you know, the unwinnable, you know, test. He, he, he thinks that he can get through everything and he can't. And that's what Abrams didn't get when he basically made Rathacan with Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, he didn't get the fact that it's not about the shock of a character dying. It's about the fact that they had to die to make it work. It's clever. It's well made. It's the effects are amazing. The direction's amazing. It's just a great thriller that happens to be a Star Trek movie. And I think that's how it works. I think that that's why it falls together in the way it does. And that's why the flow's there. That's why people keep coming back to it as the best one. I think I'm very much not alone in thinking, you know... Two and six are among the best, if not interchangeable at the lead. But I think Rathagan does have that extra pop with the villain. I think a good Star Trek movie is only as good as its villain. And I think that that's why, like, you know, four fails. Not fails, but it's, you know, not top two. Because it hasn't really got a villain. It hasn't got a bad guy. It's only got that little bit of a push to be able to get over you know, give it some antagonism to, like, keep the plot moving forward. I mean, the world's going to end, so it's not like it's low stakes. It's bloody high stakes, but it's not the stakes that matter because it's not really... It's kind of wishy-washy, you know? I mean, the world's going to end, but it's not quite as hardcore as maybe, you know, 2 is because 2, it, it comes out really, like, insanely hard, and it's like, shit, we're all going to die here. You know, people are dying left, right and centre in that movie. Um, and yeah, you can say it's red shirts to begin with. And it is red shirts to begin with. But it has some real weight to it. It's like Scotty's um, nephew or whatever it is. You know, he dies pretty horrifically and it's worse than the director's cut. You know, it's it gives you some stakes and some weight to people actually dying. And it's not some silly space adventure. It's actually got some thrills in it. I do think it is easily the best one. Um so that's my ranking. Um, people may disagree or agree. Um, I may revisit it. Um, if I can get another guest on um, who's a big 
like Trekkie, like me, who wants to revisit this and alpha rebuttal in a discussion, happy to do that. Um, I just was a bit stuck with work and everything else for a, a main like topic on this episode because I saw six. I thought, do you know what? I'll do this first six movies. I'll leave the series ranking alone. I'll leave the Abrams and the next gen movies alone as they could be separate topics, maybe lumped together. Um, I wanted to get these and present my thoughts. Um, so from worst to best, it's the motion picture, search for Spock, final frontier, voyage home, undiscovered country and Ratha Khan at the top as my favorite Star Trek movie. So again, I want to thank everyone for listening um, to my very yawny, yawny, yawny podcast, my ramble cast as this is quite rapidly becoming apparently um there was a little dip in the middle of the podcast i'll try and edit it out as best i can but there's little technical difficulties when my laptop started playing something in the background and i could hear it i'm not sure if you can hear it but there might be a bit of a jump when i'm talking about i think it was austin powers um if there is i'll try and edit it out as best i can again thank you my patrons if you want to um be a patron or get the podcast early it does go up there a couple of days early it's patreon.com forward slash home video update um link will be on youtube and on everything else um i do appreciate people listening at all being a patron helps me out and it makes it so much better for me making the podcast because i can really feel the appreciation i love the youtube comments as well so if you watch on youtube do please put a like do subscribe um it helps with the algorithm and things like this so if you put a like and comment like comment subscribe as all these bloody youtubers say um it does help me it really does so i appreciate anyone listening and get involved at all so until next week which hopefully will be a better planned out one i do apologize and a little bit less tardy i will make a real effort to not be late um later in the week a bit earlier in the week on patreon and a bit later in the week for the normal release so until next week it's mike saying thanks and i'll see you next time